chapter 3, verse 13 in the book of James. Hey, we encourage you guys as a church family, as a culture, to bring your Bibles with you to church. And so uh, we encourage you to get a Bible. I use the New King James Version. I don't, I don't use it because it's the best or the only version. It's the one that I know. There's lots of great versions of the Bible out there. Pick one you like that's easy to read. But if you want to follow along with me on Sunday mornings, um, word for word, I'm in the New King James Version Bible. So we encourage you guys to get those. Go to Amazon. Buy yourself a Bible if you don't have one. There's great study Bibles, beginner Bibles, all kinds of Bibles out there. Um, but have one. I think it'll help your walk. And so we encourage you in that. So we are in the um, book of James. And so as you guys know, really quickly, I, I only have a few minutes. We had a lot of stuff going on today with communion and graduation. So we're going to try to jam and cover what I got today in a shorter amount of time. Um, the book of James is a kind of what we call a no-nonsense book. James was the younger brother of Jesus. He was the half-brother. When, when Jesus was born um, of the Virgin Mary, um, Joseph and Mary had other kids, the Bible says. And they say that Jesus had brothers and sisters. And, and, and the term their brother is, it, 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 it's a different word than when I just say to you, hey, brother, what's up, sister? It means maternal brothers and sisters. It is what it is. And so Jesus has um, I think if, we, if you kind of put the pieces together and what the Gospels tell you, it sounds like there was eight siblings of Joseph and Mary, Jesus being the oldest, obviously. James may be the next in the house of Jesus. That means that James and Jesus, the author of this book, they would have grown up in the same house. You know, in, in, in a, Nazareth, a Nazareth village with Joseph being a carpenter and probably a blue-collar guy that wasn't well-off, I'm sure they had a humble house. And most of the living there, you would all live in one room. And maybe the parents would have a bedroom if you see some of the old houses and the ruins that we see today. But the kids would all share a bedroom. And sometimes even the animals would have to be brought into the house. So Jesus and James would have no doubt slept maybe on the same bed in the same area for all their lives. And James would not believe that Jesus was the Messiah or he was God. And who blames him, right? Who's going to believe that your brother was God? But when, when Jesus rose again from the grave, James seen him die on a cross, and he seen him alive again after that, and it changed his heart and his mind, and the Holy Spirit and the resurrection got a hold of James's life, the brother of Jesus, and he radically changed his life and became a, a believer in Jesus Christ and understood that he grew up with God as a big brother. Now he could, for the first time, understand why Jesus was never in trouble. Why Jesus was always right in the perfect son and the perfect kid and the perfect brother. James was a person who I think maybe had some regrets in his heart about, about wasting some time and some years with Jesus as, in his house as a non-believer. And, and he became very, very motivated and, and driven as a follower of Christ. He was a person who had a great reputation in the early church as being a man of prayer. His nickname in the early church was Old Camel Knees because he literally would enter the temple and spend 8, 10, 12 hours every day praying. He wanted to spend time with his brother. He, he didn't want there to be one more lost moment in history and time of, of the 30 years that he felt like maybe he wasted to be with his brother. And when he comes to you and I, he uses the term five times, beloved brethren, my brethren, my brethren. It's good because the things that he says are very direct. I don't know, maybe you have somebody in your life. Maybe there's, there's an uncle or a dad or a cousin or somebody who, who a Dr. Phil type, right, who, who just tells it exactly like it is and, you know, doesn't really cut the corners. Now, now, we can't just tell people these things 
In life, it doesn't work that way unless the people that we're telling it to first know what? That we love them. And if somebody knows that you love them, it was once said and said it's true, right? No, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and, and when somebody loves you, they can tell you things that are hard. And James is that guy. And I like it that he's a person of love. And we, we don't want to write James into just a grumpy old man category. He's, he's somebody who, who had real compassion for those he wrote for, but, but he just tells it like it is. Now, the theme of the book of James, hopefully you guys are getting this by now. Um, we've been preaching it every week, and, and part of what we try to do is teach, so we want you guys to learn um, some of these things, pick up on them. Taking notes is a good way to do that. But the theme of the book of James is anybody? It's two things we've highlighted. Write them down so you got the right answer next week. Number one, Christian maturity, okay? The term that, that, that we used was grow up. You ever had anybody tell you that? When, I, when you're a kid, if you're a kid and somebody says to you, grow up, that kind of cuts because you want to be grown up, you know? And, and, but in, in dealing in life, James, the number one theme, the first thing is Christian maturity. He wants us to be mature believers. He wants us to grow up in Jesus and everything that goes along with that. He started in this. The second thing I'll just tell you so you can write it down. First theme is Christian maturity. The second one is dealing with hypocrisy through maturing as a believer. Now, in the first chapter, in the theme of grow up, James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that these trials produce patience in your life and let patience have its perfect work. And the fact that patience is a perfect work, it means there's no other way to get it better than through trials and tribulations in your life. God wants to teach you certain things. He wants to build character in your life as a Christ follower. And there's just certain things that God cannot teach you apart from hardship in your life. And so James is saying, as a, as a follower of Christ, grow up when you, when you fall into various trials and tribulations. Have maturity when you come into trouble. Knowing and, and count it all joy. Because God is doing something miraculous in your life. God is teaching you something through this and, 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 and live it and love it and, and let, it, let it have its perfect work in your life. And stop whining. Don't, don't be a baby. And understand that, yes, you are going to face hard things in life. But, God, but James says if you'll have patience, what does patience do? Listen, if you're going through something hard in life and, and you're patient, that patience screams God, I trust you. But if you're whining and complaining and saying, God, get me through this. And when is this going to end? And God, will you help me? And, and, you know, like, and, and not that maybe, I'm not saying we don't pray about those things. But at the same time, if we have patience and we say, God, help in this. God, I, I'm trusting you. God, I, I'm allowing this to have its perfect work in me. That God will do something miraculous and something in your life of building character that only birthdays and only trials and tribulations can do in your heart and life. And then James says, um, faith in chapter 2, he gets onto the same idea of, of Christian maturity and dealing with hypocrisy. And he says, faith without works is dead. It's just a simple truth of the Bible, right, of, of, of Christ followers. You can't say you're, you're a Christian and a Christ follower if there's nothing in your life that says you're a Christian or a Christ follower. And if you truly are a Christian or a Christ follower, James just says there'll be, there'll be some evidence in your life. People will be able to see that. John the Baptist said the same exact thing. John the Baptist was very much like James in style. 
John the Baptist was a no-nonsense guy. The, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees and the Jews of Jesus' day were coming to John the Baptist and getting saved, and he was baptizing them. And some were coming, and they were saying, we believe, and, and we're, we're changed. And, 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 and John the Baptist looked at them, and he said, hey, you hypocrites. He said, show fruits worthy of repentance. If you've repented and you're a Christ follower, there'll be some evidence in your life that proves it out. And James tells us the same thing, that faith without works is dead. Grow up in it and, have, let, let, and, and practice the truth. Chapter 3, last week, we dealt with taming the tongue and, and the impossibility of taming the tongue. And remember that we don't focus on taming the tongue because that's the, I'll put a quarter in the cuss jar every time I cuss um, as penance to try to control the tongue. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everybody, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James is, is really he's telling us, yeah, there's a problem if you say you're a Christian and you've got a foul mouth. If you say you're a Christian and you're cursing your brother and blessing God with the same tongue, it's hypocrisy and deal with it. That there should be some consistency in, in who you are and what God is doing in your heart and life. My friend Josh was here last week, and the scripture that God gave him when he shared with us just off, you know, just the spirit immediately was that, that God who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And, and as God has begun a work in us, you know, that, that there's evidence that God is moving and working in each one of our lives. And so we don't tame the tongue, but we understand that, that, that it's a part of the heart. Now, in chapter 4, where we're going to end up today, we're going to deal with the, the, really the crux of the matter, really the heart of everything that James has told us thus far. This is what I want to see you guys do today. Okay, I would say this week, but I don't want you to put it off. It'll take you 10 minutes of your life. But will you just, in context, read the book of James today, sometime this afternoon? Chapter 1 through chapter 5, it'll take you 10, 12 minutes tops. But I want you to catch what, what I'm preaching, what we're saying, so you get it in a little better context, Okay. But James is going to put it all together today in, in relationships. The, the, the vision of my ministry, of my life, the verse that God gave me that when I first became a Christian that, that still motivates me to this day is abide in Christ. That it's relationship, not responsibility. So as James is giving us a lot of responsibility, yes, we do have responsibility. We do want to be careful of hypocrisy. You know, the Bible is, is clear on lots of areas with other writers. John, um, old man John told us, you can't say that you love God and you hate your brother. It's hypocrisy that just doesn't flesh out. If you love God, there's no way you can hate your brother. So one is true and one is not. And, and, and all the way through being consistent, but listen, it's born out of relationship. And that's what James is going to tell us today. And we better get to it so we can cover it. Um, verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. So listen, to be wise and, and have understanding among us is a noble quality. If I asked you, there's a question mark after the word you there in verse 13, right? If you're reading that with me. Who is wise among you and has understanding? Hopefully you would all say like, if it's not you, if you didn't feel comfortable raising your hand, yeah, that's me. At least that you're in that um, you know, you're trying, you're becoming, you're working on it because it's a noble thing. We want to, we want to be wise and have understanding, but then James is just in his, in his, um, very unique and, and biblical fashion. He says, then show me, don't tell me, don't tell me that you're, you're wise. If you're wise, you, you, it'll show, you know, you don't have to tell everybody how great you are, right? If you're really great, people will know it and they'll see it. 
Jesus said, when you enter a room, he said, don't go sit in the most noble seat in the, in the room because the, the headmaster might come over to you and say, hey, uh, you can't sit up here in the front. Will you please move to the back because you don't belong up here. Jesus said, when you enter a room, go to the most humble seats in the back. Go, go to the humble place in the room. And, and if the headmaster sees you there and he says, hey, what are you doing back here? You deserve a seat of honor up front. Then he'll bring you up front. But you don't have to come in and announce Jesus said, oh, hey, I'm a person of honor. You've got to honor me, and this is where I belong. Like, if that's who you are, that will show. And James says, James says the same thing, that you say you're such and such. Well, show me. Show me the money, right? Show me the money, Jerry. And then um, he says in verse 14, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic everybody say demonic okay just quick you gotta you gotta catch this um in in chapter 2 in verse 19 james said you believe that there is one god you do well even the demons believe and tremble it's called a demonic faith we saw in chapter 2 james was not impressed people came and said i believe in jesus he said so what the demons believe they're not going to heaven to say i believe in jesus it should affect your life. You can't say that you're a Christ follower, you believe in Jesus, and there's no change in your life. There's no evidence in your life that God hasn't got a hold of your life to some degree and is moving you in a direction that God wants to move you in. You, you know, it just does, you know, the idea that you can be a, a saved and your life won't change is just simply not true. God, God wants and, and that to, to move and work in your life in a good way. You know, last week we said, you can say, I believe there's a bomb in the room. But if you just sit calmly and continue with the Bible study, you don't really believe there's a bomb in the room. But if you got up running and screaming and ran out the door, now there's some evidence in your life that you believe. And James said that there's a demonic faith. Why is it a demonic faith? Because unfortunately, many people may be going to hell. And they're going to hell believing a lie. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Well, the demons believe and tremble, but they're not. And, and now James is talking about in this chapter, we had a demonic faith. Now there's a demonic wisdom that James identifies. And I think just real simply, I think we could all agree that in life we get good ideas and bad ideas, right? Somebody, you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off. You guys ever had a good idea and a bad idea right then? The good idea would be to chase them down, right? Cut them off, cuss them out, give them the finger, see if they want to get out the car and roll around on the ground. Right? That. But, but I think pretty much all of us can, can, can figure that one out. That one's not difficult. That's a demonic wisdom, right? That's not from God. That, that, that you know, whatever. Woosa, rub your ears, relax, pray for them. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that patience produces its perfect work in your life. And you have a godly um, response to these situations. But we know that there is, James says, there's a demonic faith. There's a wisdom out there that doesn't come from God. And I guess I would just caution us as a church for this, that, that there's a skill in knowing the difference. Like I said, some, some are obvious. You're driving in the car, you probably know it's a demonic faith to chase somebody down over a, 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 a stupid car rage thing and try to fight them, right? It's not from God. You guys all clear? We're all good on that? Okay. But there's other things in life where you, you, you're seeking wisdom of God. And, and you just, it's, it's not as easy to navigate. But that's where James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and God will give liberally and without reproach. Proverbs tells us, Solomon told us in the Proverbs, to seek God with all your heart, 
to lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll direct your path. So as you seek God and you desire God's will in your life, you'll find it. You'll find the godly wisdom that God wants to put in your life. And then, and then he says, um, in verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield fruit of mercy, good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. So verse 17 is basically James giving you a little qualifier on how you know what comes from God and what comes from the devil. If the advice is um, pure, peaceable, gentle, willing um, to yield, willing to yield. How many of you guys like that advice? And in a problem, in a fight, you're willing to yield. In marriage counseling, Lydia and I, we always tell folks, you know, one of you has to dim the headlights or it's going to end bad, you know, mangled metal on the highway. You know, and, and in every fight, big and little, there, there comes a point where one of us has to dim the headlights. And, and so, you know, or it's going to end bad. But, but part of the peace of God in your life is that you don't have to win all the time. That you're willing to lose. You're willing to be, you know, for the, for the sake of peace. Here's what, here's what Paul tells you, you and I about this. This is what you have to live by. Listen, you ready? I want you guys to memorize this. Live at peace with all men as much as depends upon you. That's what the Bible says. Live at peace with all men as much as depends upon you. So anything in a situation, in a fight, in a war, in a, in, in a scuffle, whatever you can control. Now, if somebody's just nasty and they don't want to forgive you and they don't want to, they don't want to be nice and they don't, you know, and you've done everything you can do to make peace and live at peace with this person. There's situations where there's still no peace. But, but at that point, listen, biblically, you're, 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 um, you're okay. You're without reproach. You haven't sinned. You haven't done wrong. But Paul tells us in these areas to live at peace with all men as much as depends upon you. Can we all do that? Okay. So then in chapter 4, last thing actually, verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So one of the things that, one of the marks of um, just the fruit of the spirit, of, of the wisdom of God in your life, and we're, we're talking about in the context of kind of quarrels and fights. He's going to mention that in the next verse. Is that one produces peace. Okay, are you a peacemaker? Be a peacemaker. I, I don't know why. I've always been a peacemaker in my life, even before Christ. And, and it's just, I don't know if it was something that God was, you know, the Bible says before, um, even before I became a Christian, that God was working in my heart and life. And the Bible says that, 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 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And sometimes I look back on my young life and I see where um, God's hand was with me. And, 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 you know, but I've always been a peacemaker, even, even prior to Christ. You know, and I grew up somewhat, you know, violent situations. And I was always the one trying to make peace. But um, it, it, it's, it's a quality that God wants us to have, to be a peacemaker in situations. Amen? Okay, verse 4, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You guys got your steel toe boots on today? Okay, you're all without excuse now. Have you guys been in a fight recently? A disagreement, an argument? Guess whose fault it was? <laughs> it was yours. Don't even trip. It was 100% your fault. Okay, look in the mirror and own it. It's your fault. That's what the Bible says. It says, do they not come from desires and pleasures that war in your members? This is a verse I made my boys memorize when they were young. And every time they would fight, we'd say, whose fault is it? It's his fault. It's his fault. I'd say, no, whose fault is it? James one. You know, we make him read this verse. Where do fights come from? From my heart. 
from my selfish desires, you know, and, and ultimately there, there is kind of a look in the mirror and, and James wants us to know that to some degree, right? You know, and, and the thing is, I, and it was again, it was in a marriage counseling deal where, um, kind of, kind of set in for me, but this woman and, and she, she told us, she said, you know, I, her, and she was right and her husband was wrong in some of these issues. And she said, but you know what? She said, I decided at some point I could be right all the time and alone, or, or I can choose that I don't have to win all these arguments, whether I'm right or not, that I can choose the high road and that, that I can, you know, I can even lose sometimes to win. And, and it changed everything. It changed the situation. It changed her heart. It changed his life. And, you know, and, and she just realized, yeah, I think there's more to life than being right. You know, and I, and I, and I share that sometimes too, as a pastor, you know, I don't, I don't want to be right. I don't want to be righter than the church down the street and have better doctrine. And I don't care who's right and who's wrong. If we disagree on points, I'm not going to argue with somebody that I'm right and they're wrong. And, you know, it's not where my heart is. I just don't care. You know, I'm not going to argue with you over, can God make a rock so big? He can't move it. You know, where, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And, you know, I mean, all these things that people want to debate and argue about in life. And I, I don't, I could care less about who's right and who's wrong, to be honest. And, you know, part of that is just the heart that God wants us to have. That it's okay to lose. Let some of these fights go. Know that they're, they're your own, own desires. Chapter, verse 2 says, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and can, cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Why don't you have? You don't ask. Hey, this is a bold promise for you guys. Take hold of this. This is the one nugget in this, in this uh, section of the Bible that's actually super encouraging. <laughs> He's going to get right back to calling you a drunkard and an adulteress and a murderer here in a minute. But um, for now, he's telling you that if you, if you want something, ask. Now, there's a verse in the Bible to me that is just heart-wrenching. Um, King David has sinned against God. And God shows up, and this is what God says to King David. He says, King David, he says, I gave you everything. I gave you everything. And then he says this, listen, and if that was not enough, you know what God said? I said, I would have given you more. And you just hear the broken heart of God. And he's talking, how could you receive that? Like, wouldn't you be so broken? And so, and God says to you, I, I've given you, I've given you everything. And it wasn't enough. And you sinned and you made these choices. And he said, and if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more, David. You could have just asked. I would have given you more. God doesn't want to withhold things from you. God wants to give you those things. God's heart is for you. And there's bold promises in the Bible. The Bible says if you ask anything according to the will of God, God will do it for you. It says that you prophesy according to your faith. That what you have faith to believe God in and, and, and step out and believe God in prayer, that God will do in your life. And this is another bold promise. And James is saying, hey, don't stop whining. Grow up. You don't have something in your life. Maybe you don't have it because you've never asked God for it. You know, I think somewhere along the lines, people think that it's, it's, it's not Christian to pray for yourself. Or it's, it's not noble to pray for yourself. You've got to be praying for everybody else all the time. Well, here's the truth. If you don't pray for yourself, there may be nobody else in the world who's praying for you. You may not get, be getting covered. So you might want to pray for yourself. It's okay. And you have not because you ask not. But listen, then James goes on, and what does he say? He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So sometimes you ask and you don't get what you ask because you're, you're not asking according to the will of God. How many of you guys know the Lord's Prayer? Okay. Our genie who art in heaven, please grant me my three wishes. 
And, and, and that's how we, we pray to our Father who art in heaven. We get this impression that God is a genie, and, and we rub the bottle, and, 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 and the genie comes out, and God grants wishes for us. And then when God doesn't grant wishes or do things according to the, the way that we ask or want, we offend it, and we, we, we get our feelings hurt, or we stop coming to church, or we stop following God. I think one of the biggest problems with, with, with people in the church is this concept that we have to get over to mature. God is not a genie in a bottle. Now, I've already told you that God's love for you is supreme, and God wants to give you the things that you desire. And if you ask, he'll do the things as a good father that are good for you. What if your son or daughter, I have a three-year-old, almost three-year-old, and like most three-year-olds, she loves candy. And she will eat, if I let her, like 27 suckers in a row, one lick at a time. Now, I don't mind giving her a sucker. I like to give her a sucker. But after like seven or eight suckers, right, because everybody who else is at my house thinks it's cute to give her candy when I'm not looking, and she's had like 14 now, and they don't have to deal with her. But at some point, right, as a good father, I'm not going to continue to give her candy, right, because she's going to be sick to her stomach. It's not good for her. God wants to give you good things. But as a good father, there's certain times where things are not good for you, right? That's why God's never going to let you, if God loves you, win the lottery. Sorry. (laughs) Unless, listen, unless you can handle it. If you can handle it and it won't destroy your life and it won't end up being too many suckers for you, um, God can trust you with it and he'll give it to you. He's got no problem giving it to you. So you just got to be the type of person that can handle that and it won't destroy your life and God will let you win any lottery you want to play, okay? But until then, as a good father, you know, he never let me win the lottery. He knows better. Like, it would destroy my life in a minute, you know, and, and I don't need that. I need to be in a place where I have to trust the Lord for my next meal, you know. So God won't give you something that um, that you can't handle. And then it says, um, so you ask amiss, and then in verse 4, adulterers and adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants me to be, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen, here's the key in that. Sin won't satisfy you. It will enslave you. Hey, write that down if you take notes. Sin won't satisfy you. It will enslave you. Sin won't satisfy you. It will enslave you. What, what compromises do you make in your life? And that sin could be anything. And it's true 100% of the time. The little indulgences, indulgences you leave in your life, eventually those little indulgences bring pleasure. They bring bondage. And no longer do you... Do you uh, do they serve you, but you begin to serve them as slave to them. And so the little sins in our lives, the little things of the world that we, we, we try to entertain, they're going to create bondage in your life. And that's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to, 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 to repent from those sins, to not, you know, to seek God and God's blessing. And then he says, um, you know, hey, one last thing. You know, James, uh, John tells us, do not love the world or the things in it. You know, and here it says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. But, you know, sometimes Christians, you know, Christians, we can be kind of funny sometimes. And somebody says, oh, that's a beautiful sunset. Don't love the world or the things in it, Christian. Uh, oh, man, I love that rainbow and I love that, that view of the lake. Don't love the world or the things in it. Well, that's not what God's saying. Okay, shut up. You're stupid. You're one of them, right? Like, let it go. Like, that's, that's not what some, someone, you can appreciate nature and these things it's not loving the world and the things in it but there's a certain desire of the world that you know where that line is that's a, it's, a, it's a things that that are nostalgic in the world that you you long after and god says that they're trouble 
They're enmity with God. And you can't love those things and, um, and, 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 and it'll get in the way of your relationship with God. Verse 5. We've got to get to verse 8, you guys, okay? We're going to stop in verse 8. Or do you think the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this is um, along those same lines. You know, that's kind of why I brought that up is because, um, you know, the theme this year that the city set for our parade is forever proud. You know, and the Bible says that here it says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Over and over again, the, the Bible is very clear that, that pride is the number one besetting sin. Okay? It's the number one sin that made Satan fall from heaven. And, and, and ultimately, oftentimes when people fall, I don't care if it's in sexual sins, if it's in you know, substantial woes of stealing or doing something or criminal activity, oftentimes the, the root of, of, of the problem in, each, in your life and my life and that person's life is pride. Pride is, is at the root. And pride, the Bible identifies. And the Bible doesn't do this with too many other sins and areas. But the Bible does identify pride as one of the bigger problems in life and and bigger sins is the sin of pride. And so because of that, whenever we hear the word proud, you know, as Christians, we think, oh, we're not supposed to be prideful and have proud. But listen, there's a little difference, right? We, We can be proud of certain things, right? I was proud when my son was born. I was proud when my son hit his first over the fence home run. Like I was a proud dad. Now, now I can be proud of things in life. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud of our U.S. military. Um, and, and so there, there's a little bit of a, a difference, right, between we don't want to be like that, you know, again, legalistic and, and, and trying to draw those lines there. So, but he does say, and we know that, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, what is therefore? You've got to see what it's there for. Therefore is a big Bible word, important Bible word. It's, it's, I've given you a bunch of knowledge. Now I'm going to give you the wisdom of how to apply it. Therefore is an application word. It's a, it's a word you've got to go back and see what it's there for. But I love the word therefore. You know, it's like I've given you all this information. Therefore, this is how you apply it to your lives. Look at what James says. He's bringing it all to a head right now. And this is the relationship part. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay. I'm sorry, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You notice the order? First we submit to God, and then we resist the devil. I want to tell you, you can't get your life right to come to God. Come to God just as you are. The Bible says, come as you are. Okay, you come as a sinner, you come broken, and God will make you whole. You, you come, you come, you come, you come. You, you come to the Lord, you submit to God, you resist the devil secondly, and the devil will flee from you. Now, I want to tell you that if you'll resist the devil, he will flee. But, but it's, it's a battle, not a war. When, when, when Satan tempted Jesus, it said that, that the devil, after the temptation, Jesus succeeded. And it said the devil fled. And you know what the next verse says? At the temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4. The next verse says the devil waited for a more opportune time to come back. Jesus said, if you clean out a house and cast out the demons, the demon will leave and go get seven of its friends. And it'll circle back around and check the house to see um, if it's cleaned and, and, and better than the state that it was. And the condition of the person will be seven times worse than, in the, than, than it was before. So, so the devil will resist. I mean, the devil, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But that's a battle, not a war. And then you've got to keep fighting those battles because he'll come back at a more opportune time. And then, and then again, the last verse, you guys, of today, today, super important. 
then James, God says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hey, this is like, this is the key of Christianity right here. This is the key. This verse is, is such a pivotal Bible verse in, in so many ways. This, is, this explains really 100% of what it means to be a, a follower of Christ. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We believe in what Jesus taught and what the Bible teaches very simply is a relationship with God. That God is a God who is alive, that Jesus rose from the grave, that God is omnipresent, that God is interested in every part of your life, and, and that God wants relationship with you. It's his desire. He created you, the Bible says, for his good pleasure. Whether you like that or not, tough. But God created you for companionship, for his pleasure. And in his pleasure, what God wanted when he created mankind was relationship and fellowship with with other um, creatures that could think for themselves, that had a choice for themselves. God didn't create you a robot. I love God. God loves me. And then none of us have a choice. Why is there sin in the world? Well, there has to be sin in order for there to be true love. And God wanted people to respond and have relationship with him and love him. And so he gave us a choice. And many people will choose to, to not put God into their lives, to not have God in their lives. The other thing that, that, that we teach and say in the, that's a dynamic and biblical relationship with a God of heaven is that God is a gentleman. He's no respecter of persons. And that God will honor your decision, right or wrong, even if it's harmful for you. God wants what's best for you, and he'll do everything in his power to bring you into a place of relationship with him. But at the end of the day, God is going to honor the choice that you make. And not only is your choice of whether or not you want God in your life, but how much of God do you want in your life? Do you want to keep God in arm's distance? There's a great story of, a, of, of Jesus who's sitting in the living room of your house. And you wake up in the morning, and as you go into the living room, he's sitting there and he's waiting to spend time with you. And you come in in the morning and you spend time with him. And then you, you have some things throughout your day that you, you're a little embarrassed or ashamed. You don't want God to be a part of you. You say, okay, you stay in here and I, while I go in the bedroom. And what I do in there, I don't want you to be a part of. And, and, and there's parts and places in your house of, the life, the, in the, your house of life that, that God is allowed. And other places you'd rather to keep Jesus out. Well, listen, that's okay. Jesus is going to honor that. He's not going to go into those places where he hasn't been invited in your life. James says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. God will be as close to you as you want to be. One of, one of the verses in, in, in the Bible that has also been really impactful in my life, it's a verse where God says, Jesus is talking and he says, some of you, he's going to give 30-fold fruit in your life. Others of you, he's going to give 60-fold fruit in your life. Others of you, he's going to give 100-fold fruit in your life as a Christ follower. And this verse would trouble me for years and years and years. And I would say, God, who gets 30? And who gets 60? And who gets 100? Lord, I want 100, and I meant it. God, I want 100. Am I, am I, am I bad because I want 100, God? Am I not humble? But I, I want 100. I want 100-fold fruit of you in my life, God. How, who, who, who decides? And, and Lord, how, how do you decide who gets 30, who gets 60, and who gets 100? Years and years and years, scratching my head, going, oh, my goodness. What does this mean? And God spoke to me very clearly. And he said, you decide. I decide? He said, yeah. You decide whether you get 30, 60, or 100 fold. How much of me do you want in your life? I'll, I'll come. You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Listen, 
When the Bible says that John was the beloved disciple, this is what the Bible says in the New Testament. The disciple whom Jesus loved the most. The disciple whom Jesus loved the most. Now, it just says the disciple whom Jesus loved. But literally, literally what that means is a distinction that Jesus loved John more than Peter. And you go again, you scratch your head. How could Jesus show partiality? James already told us Jesus doesn't show partiality. The Bible says that God cannot love you anymore. Why? Because he's already loved you to the max. The Bible says God can't love you any less. You know, the, the, the way I illustrate this all the time is I say, if, if you this morning come to church or if you went to the bar, if you're over there on that dive bar on Broadway and you're bellied up to the bar this morning having a few drinks or you're sitting here in church, God loves you just as much in the bar as he does in church this morning. God's love for you can't change. God's love for you is so great that he doesn't love you based on circumstances. He loves you because he created you and you're his child and he just loves you, crazy loves you. Can't love you any more, any less. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on where you go. Can't improve on it. But what you can do and what this is talking about is relationship. You can love somebody at a distance. You guys have a grandma, a grandpa, a cousin, an uncle that lives in New York, lives in another place, and your heart is fond of them. And you really love them and you can't love them any less or any more, but just the distance creates a, a problem relationally. You guys want to be married and intimate with somebody and, and, and you live in San Francisco and they live in New York and carry on a relationship this way for a long time? It's not much of a relationship. Relationally, God invites every one of you to draw close to him. And you have as much opportunity as John the Baptist to be the beloved disciple. You decide. You want Jesus in your life? You want Jesus to be every part of your life? You want to be consumed by, by the love and the power of God and the victory of God over your life? That's an invitation that every one of you have. You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I don't hear the voice of God, Pastor. I, I, don't, I pray and nothing happens. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Seek God with your whole heart and God will be found. Draw near to God, draw near to God. Well, you know, my life's always a mess. Well, you keep God at a distance. And, and God doesn't help me in these areas. Well, you haven't asked his help. You don't want his help. You won't receive his help. He wants nothing more than to help you and give to you. Invite him in. Welcome him into every part of your house. Be like John, the apostle, who laid on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper in love and loved Jesus. And, and Jesus loved John more than Peter, not because Jesus woke up one morning and said, you know, I like, I like John better than Peter. He's funnier than Peter. He's cooler than Peter. Had nothing to do with it. Jesus just simply responded to John. And John always drew close, and so Jesus drew close back. And in your life, listen, I'm making you a promise this morning. Draw close to Jesus, he'll draw close to you. He loves you so much. He wants nothing more than to be intimate and close with you. He wants to be as close to you as he was with John. And you all have that opportunity. It's not based on on any talents or gifts or skills. It's based on on your choice that you make. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Hey, we're not going to do a last song today, guys, so we're just going to close in prayer today and uh, encourage you guys, if you'd like to come back on Wednesday and check out The Magician, come on Wednesday night. Hey, we love you guys. and uh, We, we, you know, we really believe that, that God wants relationship with every one of you.
and that, that, that really what the Bible teaches is that Jesus came and died on a cross and rose again the third day and ever lives to make intercession for you and that God is a God of intimacy and that we don't have to worry about being good people and we don't have to worry about what we do, 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 do. But, but those things are important. James said you have to have works. You have to have proof in your life that you're actually a Christ follower. But listen, if we strive to do good in order to prove it, we're going to struggle. Instead, what we do is we strive and we, we desire every day to draw close to Jesus and know Jesus through prayer and the word of God. And then God puts fruit in your life. God puts good works in your life. God helps tame, tame your tongue. God helps you to do the things that he wants you to do in your life, to be in the places you want to be. You know, people ask me all the time, how do I know the will of God? I want to make sure that in five years I'm, I'm in the will of God. And I said, well, that's easy. Just for the next like five minutes of your life, do the will of God. And then, and then do that again after that's over. And just keep doing it. Just five minutes at a time following the will of God in your life. And you'll, there's no way you can be in five years a part of, outside of God's will. That God has a place for you and he'll guide and lead you there. Amen? And he just wants to know you. We have a little simple saying here. I want you guys to say it with me as we close. Read your Bible and pray every day. I know you guys think it's, it's nursery stuff and Sunday school. That belongs next door, but it doesn't. Okay? Most profound thing I'll ever tell you. Most intellectual, deepest thing I will ever teach from this pulpit. You ready? Read your Bible and pray every day. Simple recipe to relationship and drawing close to Jesus. Amen?